Hello, friends, Pilates intrigued, and folks who just like listening to us talk about really cool stuff. Welcome to the Thinking Pilates podcast, where we're having rich conversations about the Pilates mindset, how people move and are moved, the way we think about one another and play together, how we form relationships, and a whole lot of other humany things that fire us up. I'm Chantel Lopez, creator of Said Shenanigans, knowledge seeker and assimilator, listener, mover, and movement educator. I'm joined by my friend and delightful co-host, James Crater, who you'll be hearing from soon. The Thinking Pilates podcast is a passion project created around ideas that inspire, provoke, encourage, and sometimes, yes, even challenge our belief around what Pilates is and how it fits into our life. If you're a Pilates lover or someone who only knows it as the ab workout at the gym, we hope you'll stick around and explore some conversation with us as we hopefully help to expand the definition of Pilates. If you're loving what you hear, we appreciate your feedback, shares on social media, and the ever-important review on iTunes. And yes, you can also find us now on Spotify. After the show, we'll give you some more information about how to connect with us and what we're up to. A bit of a warning, as much as we like playground movement, we love adult vocabulary. We hope you won't mind and that you enjoy all the other words in between too much to care. And now, on with the show. This is our first episode in season three. Oh my goodness, it feels like it's been a long time, but I think that James and I really needed the rest. And boy, you guys are in for a treat. Our season theme is curiosity, and it's just been amazing so far, the interviews we've done. The one you're about to hear is really perfect, I think, for starting our season. And we wanted to start with this guest, Amy Taylor Alpers, because not only is she iconic, really, in our community, but she's also very passionate, very vocal. She has been an educator for a very long time. Amy is also the co-founder and co-owner of the Pilates Center in Boulder, Colorado. And of course, our connection with Deborah Colway, sweet and wonderful Deborah Colway, who we are going to miss so much this season. This, I hope, will be a conversation that you will not forget as we dive really deeply into a shared passion and understanding for what it is that we do. And we unearth and mine the idea that under all the differences of language and particular approaches, we are after the same thing. We are dedicated to improving other people's bodies and ultimately their lives. I just know you're going to love this. I hope it will inspire you to get curious about what it is that you do, what your work is, and to see that really we're all after the same thing. So without further ado, here we go. Hi, everybody. It's Chantel, and we are back again with another Thinking Pilates podcast. And I'm here, of course, with James. Hi, James. 
Hi, Chantel. <laughs> How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I taught this morning, went and taught one of the last. I'm doing that um, outdoors Pilates in the park thing. Yeah. Um, it was our second to last class. And, you know, I finally mm-hmm. feel like people are settling into it. Uh-huh. So it was good. It was a really good class today. And it's beautiful weather outside today. So yeah. feeling good. Great. Awesome. And we are here with Amy Taylor Alpers. Hey, Amy. Hi there. Hi. Thanks for having me. Oh my gosh. Well, uh, I think James and I are both really excited about um, chatting with you. And I was telling a teacher earlier today, I was talking about this interview and conversation. I think we think of it more always as just a, you know, like a, just a fun conversation. But I, you know, it's been, we've had such a nice conversation. relationship over the years and it's just been really fun to um learn from you and to chat with you on lots of different levels and I'm excited about that about just connecting because it's been a little while since we've had a chance Mm -hmm. to do that I know we did one didn't we do one of these a long time we did we did I was telling I was telling the same teacher that um, when I first started skillful teaching, I uh, I was doing teacher interviews, and yeah, you were one of the uh, you were one of the first, and so yeah, it's an interesting an interesting orbit. But um, I know James and I are both really excited to have this conversation because it's you know it's such a ripe ripe time in our community. And obviously, you know, we all have very strong opinions. And um, from my own perspective, I think there's just so much opportunity um, for us to all come together and understand each other. And coming together Mm -hmm. from a place of being curious about each other's points of view, which does not necessarily Mm -hmm. mean agreeing. And that actually is so, that seems so potent to me and such an important thing that we can stand together in a lot of different ways, but we don't have to agree. And that that doesn't have to, that, that point of disagreement does not have to feel divisive. And I know you, you wrote about that in your, um, in your kind of pre interview questions. So I'm just really excited to have this conversation and and I think it's going to be a good one no matter where it takes us. Um, Right. Yeah. So James, I'm going to hand it over to you uh, and then we'll get started. Great. Hi, Amy. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So the theme for the podcast, you know, Last year, we, we came up with this idea of having uh, a thread running through the seasons. Last, last season was a theme of celebration. Uh-huh. And this year's, this year's or this season's theme is, is curiosity. And uh-huh. um, to be quite honest, you were the impetus for the theme. Oh, cool. And this conversation for me was the catalyst for going, this is, this is what feels important to me. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. This is the conversation I'd like to have. And I'm really, really, really um, pleased and excited that we're all showing up here together. Mm-hmm. And yes. 
just to set some curiosity. Yeah, right. And 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 to set the to set the tone to, uh, for for listeners to begin to understand that there is a difference between being inquisitive and being curious. And mm-hmm. when you sort of look up the definition of each, inquisitive is sort of gathering information to prove a point or to land somewhere. And curiosity mm-hmm. has a much more neutral context around it. Like, I'm just simply showing up to hear you and to be heard. Gotcha. That's and cool. That's, yeah. sort of, that's sort of the context for me of... of the conversation, it's creating a space for all of us to show up and to be, um, for it to be known and explicit that, um, you know, and for the listeners to understand that there's no minds being changed here. There's no intention of minds being changed. Right. There's no intentions of, of defense. There's no intentions of anything. Right. And to begin to understand that we can all just like literally drop the guard and have a conversation, and for it to be curious. Mm-hmm. Yes. I mean, in the context of the larger world right now, <laughs> right? You know, the extreme divisiveness on so many levels and the, and the, you know, the inability to just be curious without yeah. having to necessarily be um, righteous or be, you know, like you said, like form an opinion. But just mm-hmm. to gather information and to know what's out there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if if you're listening to this right now and you're like, I don't know what they're talking about, there is <laughs> there's a <laughs> if you follow Pilates social media at all, you know there's a humongous elephant circling around the interwebs. Um, and so a little context around this is um, I wrote I was asked to write an article. <laughs> for Pilates Intel as a rebuttal article to Bob Lykins piece that he had written about classical Pilates. And that's how it was posed to me. And I could write sort of whatever I wanted to for Pilates Intel. And I wrote a piece um, called Former Philosophy. And uh, is that, that piece sort of took on a proverbial life of its own. <laughs> <laughs> had a lot of things had a lot of things said about it around it towards it away from it and all of the above and um and so and including a piece by you which was beautifully written and extremely passionate and so <laughs> that is that was sort of the the catalyst of going like this is the conversation and the reason the curiosity thing is I'm just really curious on how I'd like to start. Amy, I'm just really curious. When you read my piece, mm-hmm. what did you read? Like, what, how did you take that? Can you talk to me a little bit about, like, how that piece landed with you? Well, you know, it's, it's interesting because it was actually my sister who read it first. Mm-hmm. And then she contacted me and was frustrated a little bit. And then she... I get sent an email to Brett, who then spoke to you, went around in the circle mm-hmm. like that, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I just thought, I don't know, I got very inspired. And I read the article, and then I thought, all right, well, this is how I have always seen it. Or not always seen it, I don't think, because from first few years of my career, the, I didn't even know there was this conversation. You know, you're like, 
educated the way you're educated. You yeah, come into, in this case, Pilates, you know, in, in whatever door you entered. Um, I've always felt just exceedingly grateful and, and sheer lucky that I started with Ramana um, and I knew nothing else, you know, until mm-hmm. many years later when I was like, oh, there's all these other people doing Pilates and it doesn't look like what Ramana taught me necessarily, you know. So mm-hmm. over the many years, I've been trying to, because it's just my way, um, define what it is that's so unique about the system of Pilates versus a lot of exercises done on Pilates equipment, many of mm-hmm. which are also very good, you know. But what's the distinction of the system, um, the order, the sequence, the equipment being correct, you know, the fact that all of the exercises are whole body. There's a uniqueness to the full design of the system. And, you know, I think for so many years we've been standing for that, yeah. Out in out in kind of the more contemporary world, like being the only classical people really to attend the PMA until very recently, you know? Mm-hmm. So many years ago, I knew I was going to have to figure out for myself, what is this thing? Because I could speak my truth at a PMA, but there were lots of people who had very different truths, you know? So I had mm-hmm. to get to a place where I was very clear for myself for me personally, you know, what this thing was and how I'd be able to kind of stand with deep roots when I yeah. spoke about it in the face of so many other opinions and, and perspectives and even knowledge that people had about what was good and what wasn't good mm-hmm. to do in movement. Right. You know, I just long ago started this conversation with myself and it was just another opportunity, I think, when I read your article to just... Try to put it in words again, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. because again, like, it, you know, the, the, the industry kind of cycles through things, right? And it just, yeah. as you said, it's sort of, whoa, it took on a life of its own and it sort of had, it was another little moment in time that seemed like an opportunity to put forth a point of view again and see. Yeah, yeah. So I, um, you know, I think it's no surprise that... I sort of fall all over the spectrum and and where I fit into the greater Pilates world. I I don't know that I'm contemporary. I don't know that I'm classical. I don't even really know what those mean anymore. But I do uh-huh. hold a great reverence for the work of Joseph Pilates, for the people who have studied, you know, the explicit work of Joseph Pilates, the people who have contributed to the greater work of what we now call Pilates. And right. so... Um, I'm curious because you have spent so much time and you have that rich history. I'm curious in your, from your perspective, what is Pilates? Like where, when you have that conversation with yourself or what, what do you find important for people to understand about what is Pilates? Right. Um, and again, you know, it, it is a little hard to define. It's, it's so, so, so difficult. It, it really is, you know, but um, I think now, especially as more and more, let's say, archival material is showing up, films mm-hmm. and photos, et cetera, um, you know, there, there's just proof of what the man Joseph Pilates himself created. 
Mm-hmm. And then there's a lot of other stuff. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. you know, there's, there's not even, of course, clarity exactly about, um, you know, if there isn't, say, film of something, did he create it? You know, like, right. yeah, <laughs> right. if a tree falls in the woods, do you hear it? Kind of thing. <laughs> but there, there's enough information, I think, for us to get a pretty clear sense of his approach. And then there's a lot of kind of written words that um, in which he defines you know, specifically what he's hoping to do, you know, mm-hmm. um, in terms of returning the body back to health via making it move like a natural, normal human mm-hmm. versus teaching it things or fixing it. And mm-hmm. it is a subtle distinction, but it's kind of like there are a lot of exercises that you can give a person that teach people things that Mm -hmm. make them stronger, that help them understand their body. And kind of my my ultimate saying to myself is always, could you get any other animal on the planet to do that movement? And if not, it's probably not Pilates. Mm -hmm. You know, like, Mm -hmm. like, I would say stuff like, you know, you won't ever get a horse to go over to the fence and put his foot on the fence and stretch his hamstring because they just wouldn't do it because they know it wouldn't be a good idea, you know? And so when I watch, Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. So sometimes, you know, I just watch people do certain movements, and I'm thinking, now, why on earth would any human want to do that, nor how would that be good for them, you know, yeah. like to stand there and whatever it might be? And it used to be a little simpler because there were so many theories and rules, really hardcore rules, you know, about, Neutral spine, neutral pelvis. Don't flex your spine if you have osteoporosis. Don't extend your spine. Oh my God, you know. (laughs) Rule that came and went, and I just kept thinking, you know, I I would try to put my blinders on and just keep doing Pilates as I learned it from Ramana and realize that eventually, kind of, the rest of the world sort of comes around. And because the only thing that Pilates is trying to do is actually return your body back to the way it was originally designed so that it is healthy versus yeah. teaching it stuff or making it good at things or I don't know, you know, like there's this weird external and kind of externalized approach that the the current, mostly probably Western mind, but I'm sure it's pretty much everywhere now, you know, about being strong or having a six pack or increasing your range or being able to lift more weight or learning how to stabilize your pelvis while you do something or learning how to mobilize something while you do something. You know, there's just a lot of Mm -hmm. different things people do out there. And it's kind of like, what would an animal do? And how do we get a human back to moving like the primal being they are? Because that is where their health lies, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know? It's hard to describe it, but it's incredibly clear in my mind when I see movement and I'll be like, whoa, that is so not something that returns your body back. That's just something that teaches your body things. And it becomes, after a while, a little bit of like tricks, yeah. you know? Like you, yeah. you can teach a dog to do a lot of things. Are they good for its health? Uh, probably not, you know? Just moving like a dog is good for a dog's health. And, you know, anytime we get this sort of human interpretation of things in the way of 
what natural movement looks like, once again, I think we've gotten a little bit off track. Mm-hmm. So from that perspective, Amy, where, um, how does the studio work fit into that matrix? Like, if the goal is to get uh, humans to move like natural animals, right? from your perspective, how does the studio work fit into that matrix? I think he saw, and, you know, I think the thing that's changed probably the most in terms of Pilates Day and our day is that bodies are mm-hmm. much, much worse, mm-hmm. right? But he saw, I think, just in the, in the human population, uh, a, a bunch of movements that were becoming the norm post-industrial revolution, you know, mm-hmm. that were mm-hmm. essentially breaking down the health of a, of a body. And took on the task of creating a form that would take the 20th century body and return it back, you know. So to me, his, his whole system, every exercise and all the equipment is literally like, let's take this spine that's gotten tight and tense and, you know, overcurved or undercurved or twisted or whatever it is and return it back to being as healthy a spine as it could be, you know, or let's take this chest that's so collapsed and let's open it up again so that it can breathe really well. And then let's move in a way that promotes circulation throughout the whole body while we breathe. And let's change the texture of tissue with that movement and that breathing so that tissue becomes really absorbent to oxygen. And then you start to see this health return to the body. And it's through the series, it's through the sequence, it's through the equipment it's very uniquely designed, I think, to literally just do that job if you mm-hmm. actually follow the plan. Mm-hmm. And so my question is, can another form of movement do that? I've never seen another one, you know, like no other mm-hmm. form that I know of. And, of course, I don't, you know, I, I have my experiences of forms, but... Um, certainly of the standard forms, most of them, that isn't their goal. You know, they might say, oh, yeah, 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 that's what we're doing. But they aren't literally philosophically designed from start to finish for the purpose of taking this modern, domesticated, you know, really struggling body back to being a natural, normal mover because there is the health right there, you know, that like yeah. the reason wild animals don't need vets and don't take drugs, et cetera, is because they move the way they were designed and consequently they maintain their health. And I think he felt so strongly about that. And every movement he designed really came from a, a fundamental deep commitment, you know, that maybe he only understood, like maybe the rest of us really don't exactly know, <laughs> but mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. he knew very clearly, this is my objective and every movement I'm going to design and every piece of equipment I'm going to design is for that purpose. Yeah. I, I could not agree with you more on that. And for me, the operative word there is goal or I get from in, in my in my head that goal work can be substituted for intention. Yes. Like the intention yes. of these movements is this. Yes. Um, and uh, and I not wholeheartedly, just the movement, but the system. You know, the yeah, entire yeah, yeah, yeah. system design is for that. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. It's like this is my intention, and um, from my perspective, this is these yeah. are the movements that I have found useful to um, instill or curate or um, inspire exactly. this this intention. And right. I I 100% agree with you. And the man was a genius. I mean, I mean, I've read Return to Life. I don't know, probably 150 billion times. <laughs> right. But right. I you just revisited. You know, every time it, I read it, I'm like, oh my god, something more. Oh no, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. But however, I just reread getting ready for this interview, Your Health, mm-hmm. which I had not read, and I think I ever yeah. skimmed. Yeah, I think I had only ever skimmed through it. A, it's the most fanatical, crazy, did I just read that writing? You're ever yes, going to read. Yes. So if you're a Pilates instructor, <laughs> yes. uh, like you have to read Return to Life and do not deprive yourself of reading your health because it's right. brilliant. I mean, yeah. things that are like <laughs> the paleo uh, keto movement, primal <laughs> movement thing thinks it's doing something new right now and it's like, exactly. this was written in 1938. <laughs> In 1938, guys, this is codified in 1938. It's right here. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, it's all there. You know, once you get past the holy shit, did I just read that craziness? Yes, then I know. You... <laughs> but he, you know, he was so passionate. He was really he was. so clear. It's like you people are killing yourself and you're killing your children, and really, mm-hmm. it's mostly because you make them sit in chairs all day. And yeah. you know, here is the antidote to that. Yeah, you know, yeah. Stop sitting, move, and move like a human should move, and you will stay healthy, and that'll actually make you, you know, mind work better as well as everything, you know? Yeah, yeah. Well, and um, that's another thing, too, James, I would say, like, you know, when you asked me first about what was it when I read your article, is that kind of, you know, regardless of where you were coming from when you were writing, you know, we've spent 30 years kind of even just trying to get people to know there was a man named Joseph Stalides and he wrote stuff. Yeah. Have you read it? You call yourself a Pilates That's teacher. exactly you know, like, right. Yeah, we're coming from that it. perspective where there's so many people out there in the industry who say what they do is Pilates. They didn't, sometimes they don't even know there was a man, let alone that there's a book they should read. You like, know? Or a couple and, of books. Yeah. Or a exactly. couple of books, you know, and that it's that there are things out there now that are just kind of, you know, destroying the, the markability, marketability or the value of a name that really should remain associated as close as possible, I think, to the stuff that he created and not just mm-hmm. things people say they think he would have created if he was still mm-hmm. alive or something. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You know, so, like, this, is, this is what, you know, Plato said. We're not going to attribute, you know, my interpretations of Plato to Plato. We're just going to say this is what Plato said, you know. And there's just yeah. a line at which you have to start saying this is based on Pilates. You know, I took some Pilates. I love Pilates, but I'm teaching my own thing. It kind of looks like Pilates, but I'm going to call it the something method because it really, after a while, there's some things out there that don't look anything like the original work at all. Yeah, um, but to a degree, don't you think that that sort of happens with um, any sort of system or method, but in particular, the Pilates method, for marketability sakes, uh, mm-hmm. you know, if you kind of take a look at sort of, you know, how Pilates 
from my understanding, from what I've heard, uh, you know, how Pilates was taught, you know, in New York at Joseph Pilates Studio versus maybe yeah. what it looked like um, at Ron Fletcher's studio in Los Angeles. You know, right. you have very different marketing needs, very different um, clients, very different, you know, it's yeah. when it comes down to yeah. it, it's a passion, it's a system, but it's also a profession. And the idea yeah. of how do we get, how do we uphold the intentions, the goal of, of what Joseph Pilates wanted for bodies and still right. make it marketable and still make yeah. it, um, and still allow for, for the, um, individual branding and individual diversification. Where, how does that, how do you see that Amy? Yeah. I mean, you know, it's so challenging in today's world, you know, like in terms of the speed at which everything works and then the advent of like the internet celebrity, social media celebrity group, mm-hmm. you know, like mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it moves so fast now, it's kind of hard to maintain a connection to something in a way, you know, because mm-hmm. I don't know, you know, it, it just can get really muddy very, very quickly. Um, yeah. And and I do, I know that there is a problem in terms of like, who's to say, right? Who's to say that this is really what Joseph Pilates said, you know, because yeah. because it is a huge game of telephone. We know that, you know. Yeah. And even in our career, which is not that long in Pilates, you know, like from the mid, late 80s, um, the things that Ramana said were like, I don't know, you know, you just felt like that's what she'd been saying all along. But then 10 years later, slash 15 years later, things were very different. Yeah. And, you know, we could watch that from afar a little bit. Um, yeah. And, and certainly had our belief systems as to why that was happening. And it had, I think, so much to do with the codification of teacher training, you know, where suddenly, you know, Romana Mm -hmm. couldn't just teach like Romana loved teaching. Now she had to adhere to a strict code of something because there were all these people who wanted fast and quick, you know, teach me in a year, something that you've devoted your life to. And, you know, so then you you started to see it tighten and get kind of hardcore and sort of loose heart a little bit and it, even its yeah. intention because it became mm. just do it and it'll fix you and I was like well I mean I certainly didn't feel that way at all when I was sitting with Ramana in the 80s that was not how she said it she definitely wanted you to do it but she would coach you through according to your need you know she didn't just mm-hmm. lay Pilates on your body and say that's how it is I mean, you make work <laughs> Put this this Pilates dress on and you'll be fine. Yeah, you know, and it's like it did become that way, and there's certainly that attitude out there now that, you know, you just have to do it. And we were lucky, you know, I mean, we've had, you know, good things and bad things because we left New York in the early 90s and weren't around for the next, you know, 15 years of the evolution of teacher training through the New York school, um, even though Ramana helped us create our first pro- our program back in 1990, um, and she taught it for the first couple of years, then she didn't come anymore, and we were somewhat free slash required, in a way, 
to figure out how to answer all the questions that people had as to why would we do this. Whereas if you'd ask Ramana those questions, you know, that, that wasn't her favorite conversation. She'd just say, honey, it's for your whole body. Just do it. You'll feel better. <laughs> and, and the thing was is that she could teach it that way. You know what I mean? She could teach it to you in a way that you just did it and you felt better. But not yeah. everybody could do that, and especially people who were learning to teach or train in a year when maybe they barely had ever taken any Pilates, you know? Mm-hmm. And I mm-hmm. can just mm-hmm. imagine her being, like, plunked down in Seattle and told, you have to certify these people, and she was looking around at this group going, like, oh, my God, what yeah. am I going to do, you know? Yeah. So, I mean, I can see that. There are certainly people who disagree with, you know, my belief that that was what was happening, but that was from my perspective, for sure, what was happening. Mm -hmm. So then we were left, for one thing, Rachel and I, when we opened our studio after leaving New York, we wanted to leave New York, you know, (laughs) in in many ways, because, you know, people aren't that nice. Well, yeah, I mean, there comes a time, right? Yeah, and there was, was, um, you know, an attitude in the, in the studio, but it was no different from the attitude in a ballet class or something, you know? It was, like, not all that nice and supportive necessarily all the time, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, they might look at you and go, why are you doing it like that? And you'd be like, I don't know, because nobody told me how else to do it, you know? Yeah. And so we just, from the very beginning, were like, we love this thing. We think it's amazing. It healed us, and we want to teach it, but we really want to teach. We don't Mm -hmm. want to give Pilates to people. And we also knew we wanted to teach one-on-one. So, I mean, we kind of established our school right away teaching private. And then that enabled us to develop our teaching skills rather than our ability to teach people how to do Pilates. It was the ability to how to use Pilates as the toolbox for healing people. And it's Mm -hmm. a definite paradigm shift from just give Pilates and cross your fingers. You know, yeah. that it's going to work for somebody. We also were immediately kind of um, exposed to people in Boulder specifically who were doing other forms of Pilates that had come more from California. And mm-hmm. um, so that opened our mind. Plus, there was at that time in the 90s, there was a lot of talk from the physical therapy medical world about mm-hmm. how this and that and this and that and this and that is all contraindicated. Right. And you had to know how to speak that language. And I happen to love anatomy. So that was nice for me. It kind of forced me to do that and learn how to speak the PT language and the medical language. Um, I mean, I come from a medical family anyway, and I probably that's where I would have gone if I'd had the discipline to go through medical school, (laughs) which I didn't. Same. Um, Yeah. Yeah, yes, exactly. Right. So, So I kind of enjoyed the opportunity to to look at Pilates through that new paradigm. And then also um, Deborah, you know, Kole came with us and she brought with us, with her, this, you know, unique way of looking and, and teaching a body that came more from Eve Gentry's desire to teach that way. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, it wasn't, it was, it was not Pilates, it was Eve Gentry, but it was like Eve's 
way of getting people into the movements so that mm -hmm. when you actually did 100 or teaser or something like that, you would have the skills necessary. Mm -hmm. um, and then shortly thereafter, Kathy Grant sent Kara to us. So then we had Kathy Grant's influence, and then Kim Hiroshi came. So we always had the classical Pilates a la Ramana, a la Ramana in the 1980s, early 90s, right? Mm -hmm. And then the influence of the depth of teaching the unique person that came through Eve and Kathy. And I was always very committed to, I'm not teaching Eve's work, I'm not teaching Kathy's work, I'm not changing Pilates as I learned it, but it enabled me and our school really to open our minds to being willing to really explore this, the, the, the work, to understand its intention, to be able to apply it to your very unique people and, yeah. you know, break it down to the nth degree so that we could give it to somebody who was quite broken. Um, yeah. but never really change it, you know? And yeah. I, I think yeah. part of the confusion so much today in the Pilates world is that, you know, like the the five lineages that we knew of pre-2001 yeah. were Romana, Ron, Kathy, even Corolla. And all of them were very unique people committed to doing their own very unique thing with what they'd learned from Joe. Yeah. Except Ramana, who was very committed to to theoretically not changing anything he said, you know. Yeah. Whereas the others were like, "This is so cool! I'm going to go off to Santa Fe, or I'm going to go over here, yeah. or I'm going to go over there, and you know, do my own thing based on the fabulous stuff I learned." But you know, Ramana yeah. was the only one who really said, "I am dedicating my life to not changing it." You know, so even though, of course, it is a game of telephone, and there's no way she couldn't have yeah, it's an oral, with her. Yeah, it's an oral tradition. Any way you look Very. at it, it's an oral tradition that, yeah. um, you know, had she had to influence. I mean, it was her intention to keep it as much as possible. Exactly. In the yeah, light exactly. of what she was, in the light of what she was taught. Um I have a question for you, Amy, about the people who have trained with you and who work at your studio and the way that they're teaching now. So the people that work closely with you, um, mm -hmm. you know, have had some, probably had some influence or at least time with Deborah, maybe time with Kara, maybe time with other people. When you watch them teach, is it, um, is it influenced by or how are they using the different traditions? I think many are, absolutely. You know, many of our teachers, after they graduate, they maybe teach for a little while or sometimes not even because they're just hungry. So yeah. they, like, just go right over and do Kara's Heritage training or they go right yeah. over and, yeah. you know, study whichever or something, you know. So they're always hungry and they're always looking for more. Yeah. Um, I just think there's such a difference when your foundation was the original work and then yeah. you pull from other teachers versus if you never really had that foundation, then all of it is open for interpretation. Yeah, you know, no, like I agree. There. I agree. I mean, it's like yeah. it's like going and painting abstract before you can paint realism. It's like the exactly. difference between a four-year-old with a crayon and something that's worth $4 million. Exactly, right? Yeah, there's a distinct difference there. It's like that with piano. There. It's like even if you're going to 
play jazz, you know, you probably yeah. need to study classical piano. And yeah. and that was always the thing for me, too, like as a classical dancer. And Romano was the only classical dancer of the group. And as a classical dancer, you tend towards classical form yeah. and less towards choreographing things, yeah. you know, and personal so, interpretation. And so I think it was much easier for Romano to commit to the form and want to carry it on because I think, you know, there was probably a bit of her that had always wanted to be maybe like Balanchine's muse and yeah, that didn't, yeah. that didn't mm-hmm. happen. So she kind of got to take on the role of being Pilates' muse, you know? And yeah. so I think yeah. she, she loved that. And I think Rachel and I resonated with that too, because Romano was so much like, you know, every wonderful ballet teacher we'd ever had. And we just understood naturally that, you know, we weren't mm-hmm. modern dancers. We weren't choreographers. And, you know, to this day, if I went to take a dance class, I would start with my plies. You know, <laughs> that's how you do it. <laughs> and, that's, and it's intentional, and it's designed specifically to produce what it's designed to produce. And, yeah. and I feel that way with, you know, quote-unquote classical Pilates. It's, it's intentionally yeah. designed. Yeah, yeah. So there's, there's a theory. Um, I think a lot. most of us are probably familiar with the work of Charles Darwin and Darwinism. Mm-hmm. And the idea that genes and cells um, experience variation and the way that they're reproduced is dependent upon, like, whatever is in vogue at that time. It's chosen and reproduced, blah, 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 blah. Well, there's a thing, and maybe you know about it, it's called universal Darwinism. And there's another theory of we can take and apply the theory of evolution to things like systems, processes, and methods, languages, all sorts of other things in that yes. there is there is this original thing that has to survive long enough to reproduce or replicate or be copied so that mm-hmm. it doesn't just disappear. And so that mm-hmm. happens with languages or phenomena, patterns, whatever. And right. during survival or reproduction, variation can occur. So that's the idea of like oral tradition. And right. I hear it. I hear it. Basic communication theory is I only hear about 20% of what is actually said. And so I interpret it to mean something. And then there's a selective preference as to what will survive or reproduce um, because of preference. And that's how patterns evolve. Yeah. And so I'm wondering, because like, as we're going through this, I'm like, oh, this is sort of like universal Darwinism, where there's this yes, thing, yes. it's passed, there's preferences made, there's things that are in vogue, you know, it's yes. still close enough to tradition to be called Pilates, but yes. is it what Joseph Pilates actually taught? Yes. So, well, you know, your... we've, done, Go ahead. we've done a lot of work on, on what we just called it, our lost treasures, archival work, based on a film mm-hmm. that we have of Pilates from the 40s. Mm-hmm. And in recreating a lot of that material, you actually see how the process happened. And I assume yeah. that for most part, the process really had to do with two things. One was it was all dancers who carried on the work versus boxers yeah. or gymnasts. Right. And yeah, or plumbers was, or, you know. Exactly. Whatever. Right. And then it was mostly women. So mm-hmm. in the archival work, you see a lot of intense upper body work that has disappeared. And yeah. um, 
you know, because I, you know, at least in terms of what I knew of her mom, she didn't like that work that much, you know, or sometimes (laughs) too, there was certain work that was for women and some that was for men. You know, yeah. even when I was in the studio, I would see somebody, some guy working out, and they'd be like, oh, that's a, a guy exercise. You know, and it's mm-hmm. like, nobody mm-hmm. wants to believe that anymore. But yeah. the reality is we started putting that energy and emphasis back into the work ourselves because as we started really dealing with it, you realize that with women with smaller upper bodies and heavier in the hips and longer in the legs and more flexible – it's become, and, and also because it was passed down by dancers, it's become somewhat of a performance art and also a lot of momentum, you know, like swing your yeah. legs over and then you'll get there. And it's like, well, that yeah. is not at all what he was doing. He was <laughs> moving everything with lots of muscle, yeah. you know, and so yeah. you've got to pretend you've got like beefy chest and beefy shoulders and a beefy back and slightly lighter, <laughs> less heavy hips and legs. And suddenly the system changes dramatically. You know, yeah. it doesn't look like pretty ballet dancers anymore, mm-hmm. but it's so much more powerful and safe. You know, so yeah. that, that, that Darwinism theory just, it, it, it exists already, you know, yeah. and then, and of course, you know, however, those who studied directly with Joe went off and interpreted what he said regardless of whether they cared to maintain the, the real integrity of his work or didn't, you know, because I, I, I know, I mean, obviously Ron was a grand dancer and his work yeah. is quite different. And mm-hmm. he invented mm-hmm. a lot of exercises and, you know, he, he told me once he had to because of the market that he was in. Right. You know, and Kathy was very clear. She was like, oh, my goodness, honey, I was working with these dancers and I couldn't work with them one on one. So I had to create movements that would be something they could learn carefully. And by the end of the year, we would do that, you know, and if yeah. somebody wanted to teach or train, she said, I send them to Ramana because I don't teach Pilates. That has become <laughs> yeah. forgotten, you know, so that now now they're all Pilates when the elders themselves were very clear that wasn't what they had intended, you know, until the word Pilates really started to have tremendous cachet. And then of course, you know, you would use it. Why wouldn't you if you studied, studied directly with him, you know? I think it's interesting what you're saying too. this, the experience of the method going through this kind of evolution but also that Joe, as you're saying, Amy, as you guys dug into the archival stuff, that Joe is re-influencing the work all over again. I find that really, exactly. really fascinating, like just a really interesting, um, just an interesting facet of, of all of this and the way that things do yeah. evolve and shape and reshape and and form and reform. I want to just, I want to take the conversation um, sideways just a tiny bit because in your pre-interview questions, we asked you what, what you were really interested in, in diving into. And I think this is absolutely not, um, separate from the conversation that we've been having, but that Mm -hmm. you are interested in how teachers find their own voice and confidence. And I want to draw us back to how you answered the very first question, because I feel like, for me, the ongoing um, 
conversation on social media, out in the world, individually. I know James and I are constantly having this like this why question, the why, the why, like what's our, what, what are we doing? What is our work? What, what are we care about? Why are we showing up? Um, Exactly. I I do. Yeah. I think this is, it's like, I think we could all agree to disagree at the point, you know, at which like the language that we use, if we were all clearer about our purpose and intent. And I, I think yes. this is the root of finding your own voice voice and developing yeah. immediate confidence. Not, it's not, I mean, of course, confidence develops over time. There's, you know, you can't argue with that, but I think that there is this deep rooted fluid confidence that comes from understanding at the very beginning or as early as you can, why the hell you're doing what you're doing. And exactly. And what you yeah. said, Amy, earlier about, um, Pilates being about like his intent to restore the human animal to its original potential. To me, it's like when you get clear for yourself, like maybe that's not what you believe the original intent of the work is. Like everybody has their right to their own opinion. But if you are well read in the work, if you've looked at the archival footage, like you have an obligation, I think, as a teacher to do those things. If you ever want to say that you're teaching Pilates, it doesn't mean that you have to teach it that way, but you do have an Mm -hmm. obligation to form a well-educated opinion about what the hell you're doing. What is it? What's the purpose? What's the intent? It can't just be blank set. You know what I mean? It yes. can't just be Ramana said. It can't just be think. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. You know, Ron Fletcher said at exactly. some point because they're no longer here. You are the person who is standing at the foot of the reformer watching That's exactly the right. move, and you can't be going, "Well, what would Ron say? What would Ramana say? What would Kathy say?" You're going to be the one who has to say it. That's right. <laughs> Whatever <did> you say. <laughs> well, you know? and I think so this... at some point, I think it's you know, I think those two questions, like what you kind of already answered was or or mentioned was, I tell everybody you're going to have to come up with the answers to at least two really key questions, and one of them is what is Pilates? That's right. To you, yeah. And then yeah. why do you teach it? You know, like what is your point when you just sit there and look at a body? Are you just going to say, here's what we do? You have to do 10 of these. They say it's supposed to be on four springs. That's right. And now do the next one and now do the next one. And, you know, eventually it's kind of like, obviously you're going to not want to teach that after a while because you could literally just put on a videotape. Just 100%. You know? Yes. So how do you become the teacher? That was, you know, that was the gift I think that we were given, Rachel and I, when we left New York was like, oh. This thing is so cool, and, and you have to always have perspective. Like, there was no industry to speak of at that time. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. You know what I mean? There were scattered groups of people, and that's it. It wasn't until later in the 90s when teacher training became a thing and the trademark litigation and all this kind of stuff that, you know, that there started to be public awareness of anything, right? And it really wasn't until after the trademark litigation that there was the beginnings of an actual industry that had some structure to it, you know? Um, so back in the nineties, it was still the wild west in a way. Mm-hmm, <laughs> Anything mm-hmm. could go because there weren't any, there, there weren't enough people to police anything or know enough to care, you know? 
So it all began to change during the 90s. And you really, you know, for better and for worse in many different ways. You know, the, the classical world got tighter and a little harder and a little more. I always kind of described it as like, you know, they kind of built the Berlin Wall around themselves. Yes. And if you were outside that wall at that point, that was the end of that, you know. And then they got much, much kind of more closed-minded and, and very, you know, very defensive. Yeah. And, and um, I think, you know, that's... You know, that's part of what I find is so interesting because um, I think we, a, a lot of us are lacking perspective in, in where we are evolutionarily as an industry. And, and we yeah. see it as a fixed thing that has always been true rather yeah. than we are on a continuum of evolution, oh boy, yeah. not just as like outside of the method, but as an industry and and I, yeah. again and again and again, I, teachers come to me and they have, you know, I mean, I think it's just because it's been imposed upon them in a way and as impressionable, you know, emerging teachers, they just, they take it and they say, okay, th- well, that's the opinion I should hold. And it, yeah. it, it is often like that classical is rigid. It's black and white. It's unfriendly. It is just what you described yeah. satirically yeah. earlier about like, here's the exercise. It's four sprints. This is the way you do it. Do it no matter what. It's like a lot, a lot, a lot of teachers have this perspective that classical Pilates is this thing because of what you're describing. So at some point in the industry's evolution, yeah, it's become a hard, it's become a hard line, but it's a fix. It's not a fixed point, right? It's a continuum. And I think that for yeah. me is what's so exciting about conversations like this and even, you know, lots of conversations we're having, um, it, you know, when we're gathering together or when we're a- away from each other, writing things or posting things is that for me, I see people coming out of that and starting to see like, oh, this is not a fixed view. This is like, oh, right now, this is how it feels. Oh, but 10 years ago, this is what was going on. Right, exactly. And that's something to think about, too, even in terms of the elders that we studied with or whose lineage we come from, you know, it's that they each worked with Joe at different times in his life, mm-hmm. you know. And yeah. having been somebody who worked with Romana when she was in her 60s versus when she was in her 80s, and because not only was she a different age, it was a different time in her career, but the industry she was in changed so dramatically in those last 20 years, Mm -hmm. you know, that that is a really huge perspective that most people don't have. They just think, Oh, you know, Joe was the same for the entire 50 years of his career. And Romana was the same for the entire 50 years of her career. And it's like, no, are you the same? Right. (laughs) Right. You know, you have a different depth of understanding and, and a lot more experience and, you know, however it is that age and experience and time, just time, change you, you know, that happened with Joe. And so whoever was with him, like almost all the living, quote unquote, elders of today, the ones, anybody who's alive today who actually could have touched a living Joe, you know, they only could have worked with him in the last probably five years of his life. Mm-hmm. And he wasn't a happy camper at that point, according to most people, you know, he was old and, and upset and depressed and incredibly poor and, you know, feeling that his work didn't go the way it was supposed to, you know, so you have to see that the perspective of 
teachers who studied with him in the last five years of his life is going to be quite different from people who had exposure to him over many years or studied with him when he was younger. Mm-hmm. And then like Kathy always said, you know, well, when I was with him, he was, he was very into the chair. So that's what she got a lot of, that's you know, right. so mm-hmm. I mean, each era had to have been different. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think because I have a, because my first career was in dance and dance history and I have a master's in dance history. And so I was in research and, um, and looking at history and how, the history of an era led to the dance of that time kind of thing. You know, mm-hmm. that's like my mm-hmm. way of looking at it, you know. So Pilates is no different for sure. It's like where were you when and what was going on in the world at that time and who were the players and, you know, especially Joe. Who was he at that moment in his life and who, who was the teacher you got? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I want to follow this thread a little bit in terms of the the um, developing your voice and confidence just a little further, Amy. Yes. In yeah. what like what feels outside of or addition, you know, additionally to what we've been talking about, what to you feels like the most important um, like tool or advice or nurturing you give your teachers in order to help them find their own voice and confidence. Yeah. Yeah. And that, you know, that is really for me the most uh, interesting part of of my career and my future, you know, Mm -hmm. like I'm looking ahead at 60 to what, what, what is, what parts of this career are the thing I really want to focus on, you know, and saying, obviously I, I still love working with clients and that's where you keep your skills. Um, but I love working with teachers who are trying to figure this out, you know, and I always think of it as like, you, you have so many people talking in your brain right now. Mm-hmm. So many people who gave you their opinion about something or you read it or you learned it in school or your priest or your rabbi or whoever it is who influenced you has all kind. you've got voices in there like crazy and you can't, I think, really find your own voice until you acknowledge that. And then you start taking them out of your head. <laughs> you know, like you say something and you go, whoops, oh, my God, that was my mother talking. Yes. And you're like, I know. You've got to get your mother out of your head. Like, you don't have to give her up. But you have to notice that when you said something, it was actually somebody else speaking, mm-hmm. not mm-hmm. you. You know, like, and oh my God, that's something that Ramana said. All right, how would I say it? Do I even agree? You know, mm. what, what do I think it means? Like, at some point, you have to stop spouting stuff other people said. Yes. And kind of start really questioning what you want to say. And so, for me, the moment of truth was just knowing I was going to have to present at the PMA 15 years ago. And knowing I was going to stand up there as kind of this lone classical teacher standing for this work, and there wasn't a word like tensegrity yet. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like that word didn't really exist in the common vernacular yet. If it had, it would have been a lot easier (laughs) because that's exactly what Pilates is and each movement is. But nobody understood that. Everybody was still kind of into the stabilize and articulate. Right. And, mm-hmm. and don't move because moving is very scary and you could really hurt people. So that's contraindicated and that's contraindicated. And I was going to have to like stand up on this platform in front of however many people who are very opinionated and come from so many different belief systems 
and feel confident in what I was saying, you know? So for me, the journey was how do I get to some clarity about what I think this thing is, not changing it, but like trying to understand it. And, um, and I, you have to do it your own way. I'm very clear how I did it. I had to think, okay, movement is innate. Movement exists. Whatever this thing is, if its goal is health, then it has to be natural, normal movement. And what is that? And how do we see it? And I kind of just took the journey back to basically the Big Bang. And I thought, okay, <laughs> you know, it's all energy is all moving all the time. It's not not moving, which was a little bit of the way people were teaching Pilates at that time. And I was like, well, I just fundamentally believe whatever it is must be moving to be healthy. And that Mm -hmm. the movement it would be doing would be at at the deepest cellular level, expansion and contraction. And how can I see that these movements look like that? And so, you know, I began to just formulate my opinion of what natural normal movement looked like from the point of view of it all should be moving and the movement it should be doing is expansion and contraction at a deep cellular level. So here we go. Here's footwork. And can I see that? And can I enable that? Because to me, that would be health. And then you return to life and you're like, oh, great, I'm on the right track. Yay, you know, because he's actually saying that, too. He might be saying it slightly differently. But natural, normal human movement remains the foundation for the purpose of returning you to health. What does health look like? What does natural, normal look like? You know, I just turned to watching birds murmurate and cats mandiculate and all these words that we now have (laughs) and consegrity and, you know things that we didn't have words for even 15 years ago, um, yeah. but that now are part of our, you know, our literal vocabulary, and we have a sense of something that's so different from the way movement was taught, even at just the beginning of this century. And But it was something that Joe seemed to understand. In fact, okay, I, somebody was telling me this the other day. They, they were talking with... Um, might have been Tom Myers or some rolfer, an important rolfer. And he was saying when he was watching an old film that somebody was showing him and Joe was doing what people were calling ballistic stretching. Mm -hmm. He was Mm -hmm. saying, no, no, no. That's exactly how you work with fascia. That's right. Mm -hmm. Fascia wasn't even a conversation yet, you know, back in 2000 so much. But, um, and I was like, see, you just, if you don't change it, somehow the guy just knew. You know, it mm-hmm. wasn't ballistic mm-hmm. stretching. It was fascial release work. How he knew that, I don't know. But you just wait around and eventually people come back to it, you know. They're like, it was right to start with. Let's not mess with it. <laughs> well, it's like, you know, I mean, a couple of things strike me. It, it's it's a developmental process. And Deb and I have talked about this idea that that you're talking about, Amy, in terms of the language we use is discernment, right? That moment in which you you really have to think for yourself and to be in question of what's been handed down to you. And that's that's how that's how human beings develop sense of self, right? When you there's a stage yeah. at which children are questioning everything. They're they're pushing back yeah. against the people who care for them. You know, there's 
it is like, this is a very natural experience. And, and, and I think it is what allows us to cultivate our, I mean, obviously our own voice, our own opinions. And it's unfortunate that oftentimes our teacher trainings are stopping at the place of like, Oh, great. You have now the information, but we're not necessarily teaching our teachers to be in question of the information, which is obviously like a big different conversation. Um, Yeah. Well, and that was huge for Rachel and me because that was such a frustrating part of our training was you, you couldn't get, your your questions answered, you know, like Romana didn't speak muscles, didn't know anatomy or didn't like to talk about it that way. I mean, you just use your whole body and you keep breathing, you know, like that was the extent of the answers. And, and it could frustrate her if you tried to push, you know, but then once there was actual teacher training formalized where people had to get some kind of larger, faster interpretation of this thing, you know, you actually had to become good at answering questions, and I loved that. You know, I actually loved answering questions, and answering the questions really spurs you to think, you know, mm-hmm. and, and we were never afraid to say, like, boy, you know, I honestly have no idea. Let's let's do a little research. Let's talk to some people, you mm-hmm. know. I ask every therapist I see if I'm with a rolfer or a massage therapist or an osteopath or my MD, I'm always like, well, why is that, and how is this related, and you know, so that I could be the person who could take a lot of that information together and spin it and somehow be able to apply it to Pilates if it was viable information, you know, because all viable information is still going to be viable when you apply it to Pilates, otherwise something is wrong. You know, so everything I learned from a rolfer or anything I learned from an MD, I'm just going to have to figure out why how Pilates actually uses that concept to whatever it might be, you know? It's an interesting full circle because, you know, we're, we're back to talking about curiosity, right. And encouraging, mm-hmm. encouraging curiosity. And yeah. I think that again, uh, when we are passing down information, right. And I, and I, I see where when you have to, you know, what the process has been where you have to take a body of work and you have to, you know, you have to narrow it down and you have to make concessions and it becomes very um, black and white. Like literally you're putting it on the page and, and, and then there's something in the delivery that like there's an obligation and a requirement to make sure somebody understands very clearly what this is, what, where are the lines, where, what is the context so that they can, they can just, they can take it in, right. They can take it in and then they can take it into their brains and out of their mouths in a way that's clear and concise and it's simple. And yet it, it, it does not have to be devoid of getting curious right away as to the impact or the implications of the way that the thing is feeling or being done or being expressed. And I, and I just think this is missing, right? This we're not right. It's out of necessity, I think in part. Um, and, and it's, I think I've had this conversation with people where they think that it, when teachers are going through their teacher training, it's too soon to plant the seeds for this kind of questioning. And I, I don't yes, agree yes. I, I don't agree yeah. at all. I mean, I think it's never too soon. No, because I keep, 
I remember so clearly, and I say this all the time to students, that you know, if, if you don't if you don't understand that, just let it go. Just hear it and let it go. But you may five years from now or twenty years from now suddenly go like, oh my gosh, I think I finally understood because I remember so clearly this one time when I was teaching elephant, and all of a sudden I was like. Oh my God, I think I finally understand. You know, something Ramana had said 15 years before came back to me in the moment. I wasn't ready for it then, but she said it. And at some point in my life, it kind of reappeared. And I was like, oh my God, there it is. You know, so we, we try to present a tremendous amount of information about history and perspective and philosophy, et cetera, in our teacher training program. So that we sort of set the stage for this long-term curiosity that students will have, you know, this really kind of open-minded, it's not just that he said it, therefore you should do it this way, but let's really try to understand and understand the weaving of the movements, you know, from level to level, from equipment to equipment, and seeing how, you know, once you know how to do a roll-up, you kind of got about a third of the exercises, they're all roll-ups, you know? Or, <laughs> and how, how, how could it be the same skill everywhere? Because it's not a skill, it's a flexible spine. And it's a, a flexible spine that has a lot of control in it. It's not hypermobilized, it's not weak and, and you know, overly flexible, but it is a nice spine that moves the way a healthy spine should move. And so it's going to look like that, whether it's tendon stretch or a front head stands or just plain old roll down, you know, and, and that's all we're trying to do is mobilize this spine back to being the healthiest thing it could be. And how, how does it look when we're upside down on our head, you know, versus sitting on our hips and rolling backwards? I mean, it just, how can you be the person who really begins to explore the depths of this thing? Versus go, okay, well, that's interesting. I, you know, I kind of like to just create my own stuff and make that up because yeah. it, it takes years and years and years to even get a bit of an understanding before you start saying, hey, I'm smarter than that. I can do it myself. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, yeah. and you just have to kind of stick with a form longer so that you can actually understand its genius. Well, and it's a different level of commitment, right? I say this to my teachers all the time. I mean, I was just in teacher training last weekend, and I I said exactly what I said to both of you earlier. Like, if you haven't read Return to Life and Your Health, I don't think you can call yourself a Pilates teacher. I said, I know that sounds maybe a bit harsh, but to me, that feels like, you know, it's the truth. Um, yes, it's some kind of level of commitment you're making to your career and your future. Right, and not everybody is going to make that commitment is what I followed up with. It's like, it's no. fine. Like, if you choose no. to not make that choice, well, that's fine. Like, if you yeah. want to call yourself a Pilates instructor or, like, okay, maybe if you're just teaching exercises. But if you want to be a teacher, if you really want to, you know, understand this thing, there, there are obligations, there are responsibilities, and it's okay if you don't, but be really clear about that. Because it is exactly. a level That's of That's the commitment. real thing. Yeah. Be really clear about that, you know? <laughs> like, actually state it. And, and literally, that's all Romano would ever say. It's like, you know, teach Pilates and call it Pilates, or if you don't want to, that's fine, too. Just don't call it Pilates, you know? Like, call it your own thing. And 
that's fine. There's lots of good ideas out there. But like as Jane said before, I've never actually seen any other form that was so uniquely and precisely designed for this particular purpose, which is simply just to return your body back. Hmm. You know, mm-hmm. and, and, and so many people spend their entire Pilates career just teaching people how to do stuff. And I'm always like, you know, it, you're actually trying to erase the teaching a little bit and return the body back to its connection to its innate design, the way it knows how to move and would have continued to move if civilization hadn't come in and screwed it up a little bit. And even though there's no way to avoid that because, you know, from birth we're here, still the actual health of a person resides in getting as close back to that as possible. So keep trying, you know. Mm. Yeah. I wish more instructors would have, or teachers or professionals would have these sorts of conversations because, um, yes. Amy, as I'm listening to you speak about your work, I'm like, well, that's, that's what I do too. That's like, exactly, that's, I know. Everything <laughs> you're saying is my work. Like, yes. that's, yep, yep, do, check, 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 check. Same thing, yeah. same, same. And I think we often just get stuck behind words and get stuck behind ideals, which can easily make us defensive, get into that defense mode of, of well, they believe that I'm, what I'm hearing is that they believe this, which is contra to what I believe, or even worse sometimes, which is in support of what I believe. So therefore, I'm automatically right. right. So. <laughs> and, yes, yes, right. You know, and, and I think creating a very explicit space to go, this is this is what I have to say. This is what you have to say. And let's get curious about yeah. what it is the other one is, is saying. Um, yeah. Because I think it would change so, A, it would change so much within our profession, but I mean, blatantly speaking, that's, that's what the fuck is wrong with our culture. I mean, like that's yeah. just what is wrong when you turn on the news. And, yeah. and worse uh, and worse and worse every year, you know, like every yeah. year, everybody's gotten more, more divisive. I'm actually reading a really wonderful book right now, and I can't say his name because it's too complicated. But <laughs> um, he wrote the book *Sapiens*, and oh. uh, two other that's books. So I'm reading the one that's called something like 21 Lessons for the 21st Century." And yeah, 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 yeah. I haven't read it yet, but I've, I've heard it's amazing. Oh, he is. He's so amazing, and he makes this statement, and I think it's kind of important in the Pilates world specifically. Is that up until Quite recently, there were a couple stories a person could adhere to. And so he was kind of talking about, like, in the 20th century, there were political stories. Like, there was fascism, there was Nazism, there was communism, and there was what he called liberalism, which is basically just the right to liberty. And uh, and then it kind of, you know, fascism fell and communism fell, and, and pretty soon it was just this one story, the right to liberty, and that was sort of being hooked onto by most of the world. And then all of a sudden, probably not all of a sudden, but in a way it seemed kind of sudden with the, with the Brexit and, and Trump, et cetera, that we now suddenly don't have that story either uh-huh. to hang on to. And that is what is leaving us all feel so discombobulated. <laughs> 
And Kian yeah. set into place a panic mode of, oh, my God, there's literally nothing to hold on to here. And yeah. um, to some degree, I think, you know, it's just it's just how it is on the planet right now. And, you know, that's influencing Pilates. And Pilates has always been a little bit of a microcosm of civilization anyway, yeah. um, in terms of, you know, how people are and how people get together and socialize and don't, et cetera. Um, you know, so I think there is just something, you know, like if there was a little something to hold on to, it, it would, could create a, some kind of more stability in our industry. But I think because everybody's coming at it from a different point of view and their point of view mm-hmm. is the one, you know, we just have a little bit of chaos. But you know, yeah. a lot of maybe. <laughs> yeah, a lot. Yeah. And you know, I don't even think that it. I don't even think it's true, really, that everybody has a different point of view. I think everybody has. No. Everybody thinks they have a different point of view. And yeah, that but be. what they do is they have just a different language or interpretation of what Pilates is and what they do via Pilates or not. Because when I hear you talk and I have the same experience and it's as James has, when he hears you talk about what the intent of your work is and what you believe Pilates is. And it's the thing that has always drawn me to you, honestly, Amy. But when Mm -hmm. I hear it, when I can hear like, here's the intent, here's like, it's so rooted, so clear, so grounded it's like, it, it makes me, it, it opens me, right. It opens me up. And I, and I think mm-hmm. then I can, then I'm like, Oh, tell me more about how you see Pilates through this lens. Tell me more about that. Yeah. And, and then, yeah. and then I can go, okay, well, fine. You do the roll up a little differently than me here. What I hear the things I think are interesting and important, but I'm still trying to do like, I'm still Yes, I'm still very interested in doing the thing that you say you are most interested in doing. I just have a slightly different mm-hmm. step-by-step process. And I also think it's important to say that I don't tell people. I mean, I teach Pilates. I teach teachers Pilates. And when I do those things, I teach a very specific way. When I see my students one-on-one, my clients in the studio, I don't tell them what I do as Pilates. Because I do a lot of things. But... What I am always trying to do is, is all the things you talked about earlier, like make a better human body. I just have lots of ways of doing that. So I -hmm. think for people who are listening, it's a distinction and, and it's like, we are, I mean, I'm working in the studio with James a lot, but I've certainly been exposed to your work on my body, Amy, and I've watched you teach and it's like, oh, we all want the same thing. And that brings mm-hmm. us that brings us together in order to have like inspired, curious, you know, conversations yep. that can lift each other up. And I can say, right. okay, I have that goal when I'm teaching Pilates, and I also have that goal when I'm facilitating movement through these other means. I just think it's right. like, it's important to see that those things yeah. are, you know, both true. Like they can both yeah. they both exist. And it's just so, I think it's just a, I don't know, you know, if it's just a human condition or something, you know, but it is hard to, everybody does, I think most people do say, yes, I, I agree, I agree, I agree, but then they go like, I know, but, you know, 
still the way I do it is better or something. You know, like, it's so hard to actually fully just be that open and curious, you know, um, that and not get defensive or righteous or whatever. You know, it's just it, it is just a hard human thing. I think. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, yeah. I certainly try very hard not to go that path, but I I do know I have those feelings all the time. Yeah. You know, and my my goal is always like one thing that I definitely learned so clearly, which was brand new to me as a teacher early on and teaching Pilates specifically was that there is no way I am seeing this body through that person's eyes. Like there just is no way, you know, and, and it became mm-hmm. really clear because whenever we would test people, we would always have two teachers test so that it wouldn't be one person's opinion. And then the two of us who might be testing would be kind of blown away by the fact that we each saw such different things we thought the teacher should be looking at and dealing with Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. have such different ways of dealing with it, you know? Um, And Deborah and I laugh all the time because she and I have such different eyes. Yes. (laughs) You know, like she literally, I can't, I don't know what it is she sees. She doesn't know what I see. We're both teaching Pilates. We both know why we're teaching Pilates. Mm-hmm. We came from slightly different backgrounds, but obviously she's been teaching with us for 27 years, you know, but we still, there is no way, you know, so how do we say this is Pilates according to whatever we believe Pilates is and then say, you are going to have to become the teacher of it and the unique special thing is that you have your eyes and your brain and your mind body and nobody else does and so you your opinion your way of doing it is so phenomenally valuable that you shouldn't you know like there was that mark graham quote that i used to read in every workshop that i taught which was about her telling agnes to know like you can't do it anybody else's way. You've got to do it your way, and that is the most valuable thing. You can't withhold that from people. You have to give your uniqueness to this thing, you know. And so how do we all do that? Because therein lies the beauty of it all without necessarily, I don't know, pulling it apart or damaging it or somehow fundamentally changing it or misunderstanding it or whatever it might be, you know, like how, how do we have all those unique voices and minds and still try to stay true to some kind of thing a man created? Yeah. Challenging. (laughs) So I was having a conversation with Chantel the other day when we were talking about this interview and sort of what we'd want to talk about the themes, yada, yada, yada. And Um, I said, I have a feeling that Amy and I are actually saying and committed to the same exact things. We just have very different ways of of talking about it. And um, I said, it became very clear. I'm, you know, I think most people know I'm traveling, traveled this year a lot with Anula Myberg and we were teaching our Shift Happens workshop. And we were at a session recently And we're looking at, you know, I think we had close to 30 people in the room, and they had been mostly trained by this one one or two particular bodies of of training. And Uh they just, they're like, oh, yeah, we don't teach the 100. 
Oh yeah, we don't right. teach exactly. Norm. Exactly. <laughs> oh, we don't teach. We don't teach the this. And the reasoning behind and that's, it was I think what I hear. You know, that's what uh, I hear. Yeah, 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 yeah. They read in your article, right? Yeah, and so and all so the we're way to hearing that. it, and and. Um, disclaimer for everyone out there who um, invites Anula and I into your studio thinking we're going to be trash classical Pilates, all hail rebellion. That's the opposite of what you get when we walk into your studio. So um, probably not the best way to market myself, but just let you know that's not Uh what's going to happen when we show up. So we're watching this happen and both of us are having mild panic attacks. Like how, what are you what are you teaching? And so what, I'm looking yeah, at it. What is the foundational story yeah, we're agreeing yeah, on here? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so I'm watching this happen, and I'm like, oh, I get it. Oh, I get it. Where I look at that and say, oh, you're not teaching the foundations of flexion. You're not teaching the foundations of body working with gravity. You're not teaching my relationship to the floor. Your language around that is, oh, you're not teaching the hundred. What are you teaching? Oh, you're not teaching swan. What do you? T- and we're talking about the same exact phenomenon. We're just we have different words around it, and uh-huh. it's it's the same. But where's the, the form? I guess you know, like it's interesting. Yeah. There are these movement concepts that can be taught by many different people in many different ways, but there's this form that's designed to produce it. Versus there's everybody's interpretation of the form, whether it's headed in the same direction or not. You know, like at some point, if you say you teach Pilates, you really should be teaching the hundred. <laughs> I, I fully, I fully agree. I fully agree. And so I said, you know, I think that this is sort of the direction that, that the conversation is, is headed. And then I happened to sign on to Instagram today and friend of the show and wise sage Anna Hartman had a very great quote posted on her Instagram account today. It's movement at movement rev. Um, the quote is, I am not teaching you anything. I just help you explore yourself. And that's a mm-hmm. quote from Bruce. That's a quote from Bruce Lee. And oh, yeah. I'm like, yep, that's, that's what it is. That's what it is. These movements. See, and I would you know, say, those, yeah, I mean, I get that too. You know, I, I'm not teaching you anything. I'm helping you fill in the blank, right? And in my mind, I'm not just helping you explore yourself. I do want you in your own body and feeling things. But I'm helping you remind your nervous system how it's designed so that you can move the way you're designed. You know, like I'm not just in there helping you explore things. I want you to actually get re-in-touch with the way you're yeah. designed so you move like that, you know? The crux, and, and so exploring yeah. yourself is cool, but that, that doesn't have the same intention. Well, yes and yeah, yeah. The crux of the matter is that I don't know that it's anyone's capability to make another person experience themselves. You can create – it's like gardening – and the way that I can, I can make logical choices, you know, it's summertime, I'm going to plant tomatoes and not cauliflower. And I can go out and I can tend the soil and I can do my watering and I can pull the weeds or what have you. But it's not my job. It's beyond my job to actually make the tomatoes grow. Like exactly. I, just simply, I just simply can't do that. 
Yes. And so yes, I can does. create the environment. I can make some really good choices about yes. things that I introduce to you, things I don't introduce to you, timing and such. But it's yes. actually beyond my responsibility. It's actually beyond my control whether or not that information, that process actually fruits within you. Yeah, but James, let me say it like this. Like I, I, I've had that kind of conversation with myself too, right? Um, but let's let's like take that analogy and put it into a movement scenario. So often mm-hmm. I would say to myself, like we cannot teach a bird how to fly. We can't do that. But if the bird is injured or just badly designed or something, it would be our job to heal the bird so the bird can fly. Like mm. the mother bird is never going to teach the bird some weird stuff, which would mm-hmm. get in the way of its ability to fly. Mm-hmm. So in my mind, when I'm watching a body, I'm just looking at the body going, what is in the way of this human mm. body yeah. to move like a human? I'm not teaching it how to be a human, but it is a human. It's not a, a plant, you know, like it's a moving thing. And our task is to get rid of all of the bad design that's been put on that body through either stuff it learned, was taught, or um, sitting in chairs and all the stuff that, you know, just living on the planet creates in a human today. Mm -hmm. You know, how can I facilitate its return back so that it can just be the most amazing human Mm-hmm. And I, I think as a movement teacher, we have a lot more control over that than a gardener does over the tomato. Does that make sense yeah. in that analogy? Yeah. No, 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 it totally does. And for me, the standout word there is facilitate, which yes. requires cooperation because I can't, yes, I can't facilitate something. It takes two. It and, takes two. you know, it's got to be that, that uh, there's got to be a resonance there of me yes. introducing yes. something and you as the participant, mover in the scenario, choosing to make or choosing to be, allowing yourself to be moved in a way that yes. creates the healing. I'm not laying healing on you. No, it's, no there is a There is a cooperation there of yes. we're both showing up and doing our part. Exactly. And, and I, I was saying that I... I thought those kind of analogies through too. And at one point I thought to myself, okay, what is it we're doing here? You know, like, Mm -hmm. again, we're not going to be able to teach a bird how to fly. That's just an impossible task, but we could heal a hurt bird or a damaged bird so that it could fly. And that, that's how I look at it. The analogy of teaching movement to a moving Mm -hmm. thing is that Mm -hmm. we're actually just trying to, erase the damage that has come from learning things, having been taught things, and then um, living on the planet today and having to yeah. chairs and, you know, text on our phones, et cetera. So we're not, yeah. not going to teach it how to be human. It already knows that. We just have to enable its returns back to the clarity of that connection to its yeah. primal original patterning, you know, it's original yeah. um, design. And so then, you know, so that as, as movement teachers, we do have a little more control over enabling movement to heal a person um, mm-hmm. directly. And I, and I was just starting to say that what, 
years ago, a client of mine told me one of the reasons why she was willing to go with me on that journey was because she knew that I was extremely present with her. And she was very damaged. She had a number of things wrong with her. And I would ask her to do quite challenging things, not just physically challenging, but kind of mentally and emotionally challenging to go inside her body and find where her health was. And she said, the only reason I'm willing to do something like that with you is because I know you are fundamentally present with me every second of this journey. And I trust you because of that. And that was when I kind of got on the journey of, okay, now why is that? Because she was a client who would challenge me all the time. She would look at trainees who might even be observing her lesson. And she would say, how did you know to ask me to do that? Or how did you know to say what you just said? And I would say, boy, I don't know. I can just see it. And she'd say, well, that's not good enough. You are a teacher of teachers. <laughs> Let's figure out how you did that, you know. And I thought, yeah. well, that's such a great challenge. And so, you know, that was kind of when I went on the journey of realizing you've got to get all those people out of your head. Otherwise, you can't really be present with somebody. You know, mm-hmm. you have to just be in the moment with this person watching them move at whatever level your eyes see yeah. movement. And I'm literally watching you know, currents of energy flow versus muscle contractions or something like that. And, and, and getting a hit as to whether it feels like it's the right thing or the wrong thing. And what I would say, you know, and, and that's literally just because I'm so present and I'm so committed that clients come on the journey with yeah. me, you know, well, and or if, you know, the ones who don't stay, obviously those ones didn't go on the journey with me, but you're right. It has to be, you can't, you can't do it. That's one of the things I love about it, being a Pilates teacher versus say a Rolf or a massage therapist is yeah. I'm not doing it to you. You are doing it. I'm just yeah. facilitating. Yeah. Well, and what feels, um, what feels important there and what it sounds like we're actually discussing is the idea of facilitating a movement experience uh, yeah. <laughs> versus simply directing a movement experience. Yeah. Yeah. And so whether whether it was a conscious decision you made there, you were in resonance with this woman, and she was that with you, and she was facilitating a learning experience for you, you know, by challenging that and oh, saying, that's yeah. not good enough for me. I need you to to meet me here. And you're doing the same thing movement-wise for her. And so, again, it gets back for me to I can't make someone be something. I actually have zero interest in um, the laying on of healing on someone. I would like to introduce (laughs) the opportunity to uh, be healed or to experience or to flow or resonate or whatever word you want to use by the choices via the choices I'm making when we're together. But for me, it's, it's beyond what I have the capability to do to actually go, yep, healed, done. Yeah. But, this, but, you know, again, I think that final piece of it is just that I am facilitating their journey, but I have a very singular goal. I'm not just facilitating their exploration of their body. Like I am facilitating mm-hmm. the journey back. To mm-hmm. use Joe's term, uniform development or something like that. Yeah. That's my commitment. I'm not just on a journey with them. I'm actually facilitating yeah. this journey. 
And, yeah. you know, it's, it's like a very specific journey. I'm not that interested in them exploring themselves. I'm very much interested and committed to enabling them to get back to this homeostasis, this place where balance and health exists, and that's mm. how you heal, you know? Mm-hmm. So, so there still has to be that really fundamental intention. That was the only way I ever got clear enough to be present with people, was to understand, again, what is Pilates and why I teach it, and then understanding and more and more understanding of what is Pilates and why would I teach it, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. And, and mm-hmm. consequently, you know, my, my journey to answer those questions enabled my eye to be able to see things much more effectively and then really facilitate people more powerfully and be extremely committed and present while I'm doing it such that they go, I am with you. I'm willing to do this too because I get your belief and I maybe don't even fully understand it, but I'm willing to do it because I can see your passion, your knowledge, and your commitment. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, Amy, <laughs> what... <laughs> what are you curious about now? Like, where do you see your work taking you or what is influencing you or what, what, are, what are you curious about? Yeah, you know, I, I mean, I teach so much and travel teach so much that I get a lot of um, input from all sources, you know, uh, you know, teachers and polite students, but um, also just like, oh, these people are kind of in a different place in their journey and these people are kind of in a different place in their journey. And, um, and, and then also I am too, you know, and how, how does each moment of teaching in these different environments constantly stimulate me to explore a new thing with it, you know, once again, mm-hmm. not change Pilates, but understand it better. And suddenly, you know, I'll be teaching and all of a sudden I'll be like, oh my God, we need to start talking about that now. Like somehow, oftentimes, a missing surfaces for me that I can put into words and begin to help people be able to look at Pilates through that lens again, like a new lens. Like I just taught four workshops at this one studio in, in Milwaukee, and we did like four different lenses, but still looking at footwork and hundred and short spine and roll up, et cetera, you know, but how can you open your mind's eye to being able to see movement? Um, you know, I've got to give you a hundred weights and mm-hmm. you pick the one that resonates the best and then you take it down your path because, you know, there's no way I can go there with you. Mm-hmm. But for me, one of the things that I am so lucky and so grateful for is that I have teachers now at my own studio who are amazing, who've been teaching for 15 to 20 years, and I get to take lessons all the time. And every single lesson I take, I'm like, oh, my God, I never thought about it like that. That is so cool. And I try it on my own body because I love being a student. And um, and then I try to put it in my words and see if I can get an, a new amazing something out of somebody because I never thought about it that way before. 
Hmm. You know, so I mean, just having teachers who are amazing to study with, you know, and still speaking the same language because they're all just in my studio, obviously still going to teach classical Pilates, but they all have unique voices. And so, you know, like Kaylee will say something, I'll be like, oh my God, that's amazing. That would never have come out of my mind body because she and I have such different bodies or Deborah mm-hmm. or Kelly or, you know, so many of the teachers at our studio, they have, we nurtured them to teach classical Pilates, but from their own mind. And wow, it's forever mm-hmm. so astonishing to me. So awesome. now I'll just take it and run with it. I would say it a little differently, you know, or I put it on my own body. And then how I would describe that feeling, if I thought it was a good one, all right, I'm going to have to try to figure out, you know, what was it about that that really worked? And it was a movement thought as opposed to, say, an exercise. Mm-hmm. And all of it kind of always uh-huh. on the path to returning, mm-hmm. to getting back to moving the way... You know, primal man moved. And not teaching people primal movement. (laughs) You know what I mean? I don't Mm -hmm. teach people primal movement. I just free their body back up so they can do the movement they're designed to do that doesn't hurt, in fact, heals them. Mm -hmm. Mm. Thank you so much, Amy. You are so welcome. What an awesome... Yeah, yeah it's been so spectacular, which uh, was is not surprising <laughs> at all. Yeah, so great. yeah. Uh, you you, you know, can kind of let me go, and I'll just go and go and go. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, give me a thought. Great, let's talk about that. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. we we really appreciate it, and I'm sure the listening audience is is hopefully going to appreciate the time we we spent together. And I personally am really looking forward to seeing you well, next week at the PMA. I'll yep, be there. Absolutely. And, yep. um, you know, all, all the times, hopefully our roads cross in the future. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah thank, thank you, you so much for having Amy. me. It was, a, it was a true pleasure. Yeah. Really, really awesome. Thank you. You're welcome. Well, I honestly cannot think of a better way to launch this season. I hope you all enjoyed that as much as we enjoyed actually having the conversation. Just real quickly, if you loved the episode and you love what we're all about, please take a sec to leave a review on iTunes or Spotify, or maybe if you're feeling generous, both. James and I are kind of in mellow mode right now, gearing up for the new year, but you can reach out to us with your comments and your thoughts and your suggestions at thinkingpilatespodcast at gmail.com. On the show notes on our website, thinkingpilates.com, you'll also find how to reach out to us individually and get to our website so you can learn about our work and any workshops and things that we've got coming up. Until next time, breathe deep and teach well.